0: This edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra, Benjamin Hill, guys, good to see you. Sam, did you win a major golf tournament?
1: Yes, we were recording on Sunday this week, so <laughs> I am in my Tiger Wood red uh, and with a Nike hat. And the Nike hat, that.
0: yeah, yeah, That's, no, that I, was uh... definitely the the thing that spurred it.
1: I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I am working from home today. And then I realized I had to do a Zoom call. So I could not just wear a plain white tee on a Zoom call with you guys seeing me. So I threw on this thinking you wouldn't roast me for what I'm wearing. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, this has a collar on it. This will be good. Nobody will say anything about this. But nope. Tyler still finds what you want to talk about the aluminum foil I have behind me, too. You
0: do have a substantial amount you of wanna, aluminum foil yeah. still behind you. This is at least two tubes behind you today um but uh you know it's i'm i'm glad to know you're never without the aluminum foil that you need i
1: thought you were gonna say there's i'm glad to know there's never something i can't say about you that is true get you going at this stuff
0: and you're such a good sport the thing is you should be roasting me because the only one of the three of us who is not dressed professionally is me i have like a backwards hat and a t-shirt on um yeah i'm not i'm not mature or professional so you guys should you should be able to tackle that
1: well I, I will say this you have apparently lit that room so we can't really see you we can see the banners behind you the flags behind goodness you. okay good you look That's like you're kind plan. of in a cave
0: i'm just like that uh, just, yeah i'm
1: i'm
0: the i'm the vecna of this of this episode see timely i can do pop culture references benjamin hill in new york city in the offices today hi ben
2: Yeah, in the offices, like a true professional, wearing a college (laughs) shirt and in the office, trumping everybody today.
1: Um, Let me me just pull this out of my back after Ben just calling us non-professionals. Thank you. That's great. Uh, Sam, I like your outfit.
0: When you lean one direction or the other, Ben, there is a baseball behind you. And I don't know if that's like on the wall or on a TV screen, but it comes into focus every so often. And it's just like the background is blurred, except for this baseball that just says official Major League Baseball. And it's got the commissioner signature on it. It's, it's like a weird visual illusion that's going on on this audio podcast.
2: Yeah, well, that's a baseball that is on a uh, TV screen in a conference room it's kind of the default home screen of these conference room, uh, of these conference rooms. So
1: that is, you can be honest, you can just tell Tyler what it really is. It's the baseballs that just hover around HQ at all times. Yeah, well, that's true. That's it's true. Baseball is in the air at Major League Baseball headquarters. Levitating sure.
0: baseballs. It's uh, that's people think that it's just like thin air here in Colorado, but it's actually things float. If you set them down, baseballs float. That's why there are so many homers. Um, so let's dive into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast as we uh, kick things off. Ben is back from the road. He got a chance to swing through uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all kinds of good stops, and uh, I would imagine a ton of good food. I know you guys talked a little bit last week, Ben, about your uh, your first day in Beloit. Um, but give us the, uh, the overview of how the trip went.
2: Yeah, it was a great trip. Uh, as you said, Sam and I, uh, well, we, we talked about Beloit quite a bit last week. That's uh, ABC Supply Stadium, um, you know, that debuted in August of last year. Was able to spend two nights there. Um, and today, Thursday, for those keeping score at home, but Friday, if you are listening on the day this podcast came out, regardless, I have a new story from Beloit up on MILB.com uh, on Timothy Boatner Jr., who is the Beloit Skycarp Bat Boy, and he has become a ballpark celebrity for his Timmy Time dance routines. So, you know, when I go to a place and there's a dancing bat boy, I got to witness it in action. I got to write about it. I like highlighting those kind of ballpark characters. So please uh, keep an eye out for that story uh, on MILB.com. And of course, we're promoting it on all our social media channels and You know, everywhere minor league baseball is read and consumed, of course. Uh, So it was great to meet Timmy Time. i got more coming from uh, Beloit for sure. Um, But after Beloit, I went to, uh, I stayed in Wisconsin. But, you know, Beloit is right there on the state line. I had to get deeper into Wisconsin. I had to really feel, I had to be enveloped by Wisconsin, not on its fringes. So I went to Appleton, home of the Timber Rattlers. Hadn't been there for nine years. Um, It was a Friday. It was a beautiful night july 4th weekend it was margaritaville night so there was you know a lot of jimmy buffett being played there was a jimmy buffett uh cover band post-game show um a lot of people in tropical shirts they gave away visors fang the mascot was wearing a hula skirt so i don't know from jimmy buffett extends just all manner of uh beachy tropical aesthetic i suppose Um, I've never really been too much of a fan but it is a good good ballpark vibe on a Friday night anyhow that's a great ballpark Um, you know just a firing all firing on all cylinders type of operation Um, uh, really enjoyed being there again uh, shooting the Bratzuka uh, that's one of the signature things they have going on there you know we've all heard of hot dog guns probably but the Bratzuka that's a hot dog gun for to the next level it shoots brats into the ballpark so being able to Shoot the Bratzuka was a was a highlight. Uh, also got involved with um, a between it and go kart race on the warning track. I was a milk truck. I was in the lead most of the way, and then I got picked. Uh, I got passed at the very end by like a some sort of you know trailer, some sort of tractor trailer go kart. But uh, I put in a good good run there on the on the warning track. Of course, met with the designated eater David Meyer. Um, you know, highlighted lots of food stuff, including the big. Mother Funnel Burger, which is like a one-pound burger with funnel cakes for buns, you know, just the kind of thing you might want to eat at a ballpark. Uh, it actually looked pretty good, I gotta say. Uh, if you like those sweet-savory uh, combinations. Um, you know, got to spend some time on the air with Chris Merring. Always calling him the dean of the Midwest League. He has been with the uh, the Timber Rattlers for twenty years and has not missed a game. He hit that uh, anniversary this year. Um, he has not missed a game in 20 years of calling games with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Uh, so great to visit him. Um, you know, one of the hardest working broadcasters in minor league baseball with the post-game podcast, with the uh, Rattler radio blog. Um, and, uh, always good to see him. Chris uh, in the beginning days of my career was a great source of information when I was, you know, just looking around for any bits of information. He had the right sense of humor to, uh, deliver the goods. So always good to see him. Anyway, I could go on all sorts of tangents about, uh, Appleton and the Timber Rattlers, but then it was on to a ballpark I had not been to. Ballpark 185 of my career, the Saint Paul Saints C.H.S. C.H.S. Field um, in uh, Lower Downtown Saint Paul. I uh, was really first of all, I'd never been to Minnesota before in a professional context uh, because there had not been a minor league team in Minnesota for who knows how long uh, before the Saints um, became the Triple A affiliate affiliate of the twins in 2021 after many years as an independent franchise. Um, you know, their reputation precedes them for, you know, zany and irreverent antics, you know, the gold clan group, Mike Veck, Bill Murray. Um, they've always gone all out on the promotions and the uh, yeah, the irreverent spirits. So I was excited to see that in action, see how it had changed or not changed and uh, since becoming affiliated. But first of all, the ballpark itself is Beautiful. Uh, in Lower Downtown, opened in 2015. Um, Just views of the city all around. You're close to the Mississippi River. Um, Really creative, unique architecture. Uh, Like wood, you know, the concourse is cedar wood. So you're looking up at the soft cedar wood ceiling all around. Um, You know, interesting uh, places like Monument Pork, you know, paying tribute to the ball pigs of uh, team past. Uh, You know, murals, artwork, an amazing history museum, the City of Baseball Museum. Um, down the, the third baseline on the concourse, like really good stuff in this baseball museum, probably the greatest like baseball stadium I've ever seen, you know, at a ballpark, which if they have anything at all, it's usually not too much, but this is really worth spending some time in tracing the history of not just the saints, but the city of St. Paul, um, you know, of course, I laid the food, including something uh, with three sliders in a bowl, I believe it was called, but it was topped with the sliders had bloody Mary Aioli, and uh, well as um, Bloody Mary fixins that came with it as well, you know, like a, a skewer of uh, olives and sausage and cheese and celery and and all that kind of stuff, and on and on it went. Plus, it was July Fourth weekend, so after the game, the team had field truck or food trucks drive onto the warning track open the field to all fans, had fans like hit up the food truck before as it got dark and mingle around the field. We're talking about 9,000 people each night, um, a sold out crowd, if not close to it, um, you know, 12 miles away from the major league affiliate. Um, Well, wow, there's a lot going on. Usher Tainers, you know, crazy ballpark characters in costume doing all sorts of comedic hijinks. Um, It went on and on. On it. it definitely lived up to my expectations, and if you've not been to a St. Paul Saints game, I would highly recommend it. It was great to finally be there.
1: And you mentioned how zany Saints games can be, and we knew that before they even became affiliated. Um, but now getting to experience the ballpark itself, what do you feel like is the defining feature of it? Is it just the craziness of you know the of the organization of the fans, or is there something about the stadium and its infrastructure? Like, what do you think is defines uh, the home of the saints.
2: Well, I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, the, the, the beautiful location and 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 superior design of the ballpark with the spirit, the saints bring to it. Um, they have a whole roster of usher trainers, um, you know, who, who lead cheers on the dugout. Uh, there's a, a woman on roller skates. I cannot recall her name, but she's roller skating on the dugout and, and leading cheers. There's the coach, you know, a real like, uh, you know, stereotypical, Hard edge coach, you know, who's got like the crew cut and tight clothes and a whistle. And he came onto the dugout and was like doing push ups after, uh, you know, the home team scored. Uh, they've got the nerd. They had a couple nerds, you know, just uber nerds uh, leading the crowd, uh, mingling with the crowd. Uh, they have Sego, um, forgetting his last name, but we've talked about him on the podcast before. Um, Sego from Japan who uh, ran a marathon in the ballpark earlier this year. He's also an usher does karaoke every game. Um, I will be writing a story on him down the line because he had a lot going on. There's a ballpark pig, you know, every year. A new ballpark pig this year is named eight six seven five three zero swine And one of the, you know, more anomalous innings I've ever spent at a ballpark, um, I spent it in, in, in the team's pig pen, where the pig farmer hangs out with the ball pig you know during the game Um, and it's right next to the home dugout so to get there during a between-inning break I had to go out on the field walk past the home dugout and then make a quick right into this pig pen, and I interviewed the team's uh, pig farmer and his wife, and I'm blanking on their name, but there'll be a story about that as well because that's the first time I've ever conducted an interview uh, in a pig pen during a minor league game, and uh, the the ball pig goes out and delivers balls to the umpire uh, at certain breaks in the game. And so what I learned about the ball pigs, though, is you know they start out you know when they're very young and trained from a very young age, like you know four months old, and they only do it for one season because those pigs keep growing. <clears throat> and they become, you know, upwards of like 1500 pounds and completely unmanageable. So they have to do it in the first year before these pigs become just gigantic. I guess I just hadn't realized how bigs how big a lot of pigs get. So I'm all sorts of, on all sorts of tangents here, but uh, I guess Sam, that's the answer to your question. What makes it distinct is, is the two things combined. I mean, a, a really top-notch ballpark and uh, top-notch, uh, you know, promotional style.
0: We got a fun conversation coming up with a member of Milwaukee's uh, or the Milwaukee area, the state of Wisconsin's baseball promotions royalty with the Wisconsin timber rattlers. Ben, give us the lowdown of what's coming up.
2: Yeah. The the middle stop on the trip, of course, was Appleton, uh, home of the timber rattlers. And um, the first time I was in uh, Appleton was in 2013. And that was Hillary Bower's first year on the job uh, with the timber rattlers. And, uh, you know, visit again this year and, you know, she's still there. Her career has evolved a lot. And so we spoke with Hillary Bauer about, you know, working in Appleton, Wisconsin, and the Timber Rattler's promotional style and all sorts of other things. So uh, that's coming up right now, I would believe. Here on the show before the show podcast, myself, Benjamin Hill, Tyler Maw, and Sam Dykster are joined by Wisconsin Timber Rattlers Vice President of Marketing Hillary Bauer. Hillary,
3: Hi. Thanks for being
2: here. Hey.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
2: Yeah, how's things in uh, Wisconsin at the moment?
3: Um, good, actually. Yeah, I mean, can't complain about the weather. We just wrapped up a two-week homestand, so you know, my life's kind of getting back to normal. Our office life is so we have some normal hours here. So all in all, it's it's great here in Wisconsin.
2: Well, good to hear. And I had a great time in Wisconsin on my most recent uh, road trip, starting in Beloit and then uh, spending a night in uh, Appleton, home of the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, on uh, Friday, July 1st. And that was my first time in visiting the Timber Rattlers in nine years. And that was your first season with the Timber Rattlers as a uh, marketing coordinator. Now, here it is almost a decade later, and you're the vice president of marketing. And I uh, obviously there's been a lot of evolution in your career while you're still at the same place. So, you know, we kind of wanted to get into that a little bit about, you know, what it means to have a minor league baseball career uh, evolve, especially when you stay with the same team and what pathways there are. So that's a lot, but let's get it. Let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, how did you first uh, come to work for the Wisconsin Timber
3: Rydlers? Um, Yeah, a little backstory. When I went to college, had no idea what I wanted to do with that. Um. I- And then I needed an internship and I'm not one to, I knew for sure, I never wanted to sit at a desk, answer phones, do emails from nine to five. So tried to look outside the box for internships. And, um, I found the, in the Northwoods league, the Wisconsin Rapids rafters was just starting up that year in 2010. It was going to be their inaugural season and Wisconsin Rapids is my hometown. So got a marketing internship with them and, I pretty much credit that to kind of my start and kind of falling in love with working in sports, because if anyone knows out there, uh, Northwoods league, you are, you definitely get your hours in, uh, as an intern, you are there. I mean, it's a shorter season, obviously than minor league baseball, but especially within an inaugural season there, we were doing everything outside of hours. We were there late. We were there early kind of getting, you know, cleaning the stadium, painting, Getting all the deliveries in and then selling tickets and kind of marketing outside the community as well. So I just love the fast pace of it, um, the craziness of it, the in game stuff. So from there, I kind of went back to school, tried to get into sports marketing in my some more internships, and then went back for another season. And then after I graduated, I interned with the Milwaukee Brewers. And then my name somehow got to Rob, um, and they were kind of redoing their marketing department at the time. so here I am.
2: <laughs> so that was your, your foot in the door, so to speak. Um, much, but then what about, you know, working, um, for the timber rattlers in Appleton, you know, really made you want to stay with the team.
3: Yeah. In all honesty, when I met with Rob, they were kind of, like I said, redoing their marketing department and they offered me the marketing coordinator and on-field MC. And so I, I, Took that as the first job out of college. Obviously, I'm going to take it, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I'm going to love this on-field MC because I ask anyone growing up, I'm the shyest person, would we'll never be out in front of thousands of people trying to get them excited about anything. So I'm like, uh oh, well, we'll see. This is a good start out of college, and we'll see where I go. And I wasn't giving myself, you know, two years here and be leaving, but I felt absolutely fell in love with it. The staff. Uh, fell in love with the atmosphere of a game, all the fans. It's um, it's a good in between of Northwoods league and then major league um, kind of a, a good in between there of where I just yeah. fell in.
2: Yeah. And going back to your first season in 2013, there is a, I'll have to dig it up, but I believe there's a picture of us. Um, you know, you're the MC during a on-field contest and I have toilet paper wrapped around my entire face so that I cannot see Yep. And um, that was Salute to Paper Night. But I do think that picture, as random as it is, kind of sums up um, you know a creative and you know energetic and often fairly absurd approach to promotions at Timber Rattler's game. I mean, off this last visit, uh, I was driving a milk truck in a go-kart race and got to shoot the Bratzuka again. Um, so if you can talk a little bit about uh, um, you know that kind of spirit and, and what kind of ideas you go for um, in making the ballpark entertainment fun and unique to, you know, Wisconsin?
3: Yeah, for sure. We, um, it, since we have a smaller staff, we have about 32 full-time staff. We all have a little say in everything. Um, everyone wears multiple caps. So it's our corporate department, our entertainment coordinator, um, tickets, everyone kind of comes together, especially for those bigger theme nights. Cause our motto is you have, we have to go hundred percent, um, or else it's just not going to go over well. We aren't going to just throw something together last minute. Um, so we put all our effort into our theme nights of promotion. So yeah, when we did salute to paper, it was taking over those on-field promos of what we can do with what creative things we can do with toilet paper. And to be honest, I can't even remember. Yeah. I think we did, we dressed you up as a mummy, or we had to, that was, I think the promo there. Um, we did something with plungers, having to throw toilet paper and onto plungers. Um, but, uh, Big one was, is obviously our salute to cows, um, has transformed into utter Tuckers. So we've taken that and now to four days of, you know, different promotions. And so usually in our off season, right after our season ends, we sit down for two full days and just brainstorm, kind of lay everything out on the table. What we want to bring back, um, bigger theme nights of just, okay, these are the promos we want to do. These are the giveaways. This is what we want at the ballpark to make it more of an atmosphere. Um, like utter tuggers we have live cows we have milk samplings we have cheese samplings we have milk mustaches we have so it just before you even get in the gates it's an atmosphere that we want fans to to enjoy even before they get in and get their giveaway and then there's jerseys and you know the video board content the videos during it and the the music um so we have quite a bit of a checklist and it takes a lot of people on staff but it is our goal every single night because obviously we can't control the baseball aspect of it. So we have to try to make um, our fans happy um, either way. And just make sure they leave with a smile. So.
1: And you mentioned how utter duggers has expanded over time there because of how popular it's been um, you know, over the, the nine years that you have been with Wisconsin, how do you feel like minor league marketing kind of writ large has changed. We've had Copa come on and you guys have a Copa identity. There's been superhero nights with the Marvel defenders of the diamond, which you guys are currently advertising on your website. There's so many different things that have happened industry wide, but how have you seen things change just in nine years?
3: Yeah, it's, I mean, crazy. I mean, just marketing wise in general, I mean, social media has kind of taken over digital marketing has kind of taken over and if anyone knows that it's, it just changes daily. So you just got to keep up with it. And I think that's more of the, it's part of the creative part of it and like, okay, now TikTok is the top thing. So we have to try to get TikToks out there and find someone on staff like that to, so we did hire a marketing, social media manager this year to kind of help us with that. Um, but yeah, it changes daily. It changes every year. Um, but again, everyone on our staff is, um, if, Help, helps out with that kind of stuff. Um, our corporate marketing guys kind of um, work with that, work with me quite a bit on that as well. So, um, but yeah, minor league baseball, major league baseball, it, you know, they come up with an idea and then we kind of take it from there and how can we build on that? And, you know, the Marvel, our Marvel nights and um, Copa with our bobbleheads we've done in the past and the sugar skulls and our jerseys and everything. So, we definitely take those and just kind of build on them when we can. Um, but yeah, marketing has changed. The whole the minor league marketing has definitely changed throughout the the years that I've been here, and it's going to continue to change. So it's, a, it's one part that I love about my job is it's consistently keeping you on your toes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, and in terms of things changing, you mentioned before, you guys are always noticing what works and what doesn't, and what can be expanded like the other Tuggers. We're about three months into the season now, a little bit past the halfway mark. Is there been anything new that you guys have done this year that you've already written down in ink for next year of either this is something we definitely need to bring back or even expand uh, for 2023?
3: Um. Yeah, probably. Now that I'm, you know, I can't even think about it. Looking at our our list here, um, we do have, we've come up with our big, big nights of the year of the season and continue that year after year. Um, obviously our dinosaur night, utter tuggers, princess night, the superheroes. Um, this year we did a, Hockey night uh, or hockey day, I should say. Since we start in April, and April, if any of you know, April in minor league baseball is pretty tough, um, especially in the Midwest with potential snow, potential rain, potential thirty degrees. You know, you never know. So we try not to. We don't plan our big, big promotions unless it makes sense in April. So this year we did a hockey night. Uh, we gave away a jersey as our giveaway, a hockey theme, Tim Rallers Jersey kind of reached out to all of our hockey um, teams in the area, youth hockey teams kind of had them come out as groups. And I think that was one of the fastest giveaways that we've had. Um, it was jerseys. Um, so I think that is definitely on the list um, for another year, but it's just those little, little things after, you know, just looking at our promo schedule here, but yeah, it's, there's lots of things that are kind of one-offs that, you know, even some sponsors come on board and it's like, they want to do this and it turns into this huge, huge, big thing, but I'm sure I'm forgetting some, some big one, but yes, there are plenty of those that all of a sudden take off. I mean, I hate, I don't want to keep bringing it up, but other triggers was, you know, salute to cows. We've done it. How many years before that? I think Ben, I don't know, maybe you weren't here for that one, but we were, I mean, it was to cows. We had that, you know, even before I was here. And then one idea led to another and it's now, um, craziness. So, which we'll take.
0: Hillary being so close to the, the parent club, um, what kind of opportunities does that provide for you guys to tie in? You've got so many Brewers fans, obviously who are coming out to games. It's not the same as, you know, teams who are in one state and have a, an affiliate, you know, 1800 miles away. What doors does that open for, for you guys?
3: Yeah. Um, that's a great question on Sundays. Um, we do do our brewer Sundays. So we have a full, the team wears a specific uniform. That's kind of a brewer themed, obviously still has all of our logos, but it's a brewer colors. Um, so they wear that every Sunday it's a day game. Um, we do autographs catch on the field. Um, so, and then this year, um, this last home stand, one of these home stands, we had a bunch of rehab. So we do have a little bit better opportunity to have some rehabs, um, which always help us um, no matter who it is. It definitely drives ticket sales. Um, So we had Brandon Woodruff here as our starting pitcher. um, And that was, I mean, tickets went absolutely nuts. I think we announced it and it was 500 tickets within the night and then kept growing from there. So that's always a bonus um, when they can come here for that. Um, And we are having a few appearances this year from former brewers. So Ricky Weeks is coming um later we have bernie brewer coming a couple times a season barrel man so it's really nice to work with them and they can kind of come up or come yeah come up here whenever we have a chance um to get a little bit of the brewers um up here because yeah fans fans do love that so
0: well i got to ask you about one of our favorite uh former brewers and former guests on this podcast tim dillard came out to the ballpark uh, a couple of weeks ago. I know he got to fire the Bratzuka and do all that stuff. It was like we had Tim on, I want to say this is like three years ago now, but it's like one of those interviews, if you talk to Tim Dillard, you never forget talking to Tim Dillard. What was it like having him around? He's on TV broadcast now for the Brewers, so that's some of the time as
3: well. Yeah, it was uh, great. I think um, people, fans absolutely loved it. Um, he is just like you said, the energy that he brings, like you just feel like you're best friends with him. Like, Oh yeah. Like I know him. Like he's best friends with me now. So um, yeah, the Bratsuka, I think he even reached out and he's like, I want to shoot the the Bratsuka. Can I shoot the Bratsuka? So we finally made some, um, we got some time for that, but yeah, he's just the, a life of a party, you know, just we'll do anything and just, Um, so that's pretty much, I, uh, there's no other words for that, but yeah, fans loved him. There was a line for him just to meet him. kids. I know a couple of coworkers, kids know him and they were just so excited to just meet him and see him in person. And he is exactly what you would think, you know, I've never met him before, but he's exactly what you would expect in person. It's the same person. So. Mm -hmm.
2: Now, Hillary, Hillary, you've been with the team since 2013 and you're certainly a veteran of the front office, but, um. You know, based on conversations I had when I was in town last week and just looking at the staff page up and down, you've got you know, veterans of the front office all over the place. People who have been in, uh, with the team for you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years, um, much more of a stable environment than I think you'd find elsewhere around minor league baseball. Uh, which obviously has a lot of turnover as people pursue their careers elsewhere, and of course, there's been you know even more turnover in recent years with the reorganization of the industry and the COVID season. Um, so, what do you think has led to this stability with the Timber Rattlers that so many people are able to stay for so long and enjoy working there?
3: Um, I think it, it does definitely go back to Rob, our you know the president CEO now. Um, his mentality of I remember him when we. We've talked in the past and it was maybe a couple years after I started, he really wanted to start, you know, making it more of a family, you know, staff of like, we don't, you don't have to leave if you have kids just because it is crazy hours in the summer. You don't have to, we will work with it. We don't, you don't need to necessarily be here if your job's covered. Um, he didn't want people to start in tickets. And then, you know, two years later, that's your, you know, the turnover of, okay, I need to start a new job just because I don't want to do this gets boring. So he definitely dug in. And, you know, when we hire someone, it's like, we want to hire the right person. It's not just, we have a phone interview. It, it goes through some, some interviews and we want to make sure they fit with our staff. Our staff is, um, super fun. We have a lot of staff outings, staff bonding, um, you know, even since we do spend so much time in the summer together, obviously all year, it is kind of a second family and that's how we treat it. So we want people to feel comfortable here. Um, a lot of our staff have families and kids, um, you know, obviously kids have youth, you know, softball, T-ball, soccer, football, that kind of stuff. And Rob knows that he doesn't want people to miss those things. So it's he just kind of works with them. And I think that's how we've grown so far. And I think people just want to work here and don't want to leave. Um, that's kind of the mentality that we have around staff because it is, we are such a tight, tight knit group.
2: Well, it's great to hear that about the front office, but yet at the same time, uh, the Timber Rattlers is the only team I've ever known to have an evil mascot who used to insult <laughs> me on Twitter all the time. Uh, that is NAF which Nath. is Fang backwards. Yeah. And um, I guess he's got Ash. Um, but I was told that Nath isn't really around much anymore. Is that because he didn't fit in with the front office culture or could we see a return?
3: Um, we might see a return. He, he doesn't make too many um, appearances, but Fang's birthday is usually a day that he comes out of hiding and um, likes, to, likes to show off a little bit. So that's in August. And usually he's part of that pregame kickball game. So um, usually you don't see him around too often. Sometimes he comes out of hiding on Twitter, but usually, usually in August is his, his time to show the fans um, his demise. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well,
2: uh, last thing, I'll end with something very stereotypically Wisconsin because me, not from the area, every time I go, it's like, wow, cheese curds are really a big thing here. They're just in the convenience stores and the gas stations. Uh, I was at a rest stop And uh, in the vending machines, there were cheese curds. So I guess, one, what is your take on cheese curds as a Wisconsinite? And two, is there any chance of a, you know, cheese curds alternate identity or something along those lines?
3: It's a possibility. You know, if that's, um, you never know what happens in those off-season meetings. I will tell you that. You never know what happens. Um, But yes, I love cheese curds uh, fried or they're fresh. They have to be fresh, fresh, you know, get the squeaky, squeaky um fresh cheese curds, but doesn't yeah, the squeaking
0: ever... weird you out a little bit? I've like one the first time I ever had squeaking, I was like, I feel like I'm eating a living thing. It was terrifying.
3: <laughs> yes, but you also know it's fresh then. Cause you true. I That's I true. mean, I know we've tried to microwave them to try to get the squeak to just get it because you know it's just that much better when they squeak, you know, like they're fresh. Freshly made. And maybe it's just the Wisconsinite in me, but yeah, the squeaking doesn't really doesn't really bother me because I know <laughs> you're what it immune needs. to it. That's yeah. True. Okay, weird. that's fair. Nope.
1: Maybe that's the alternate identity name. It's not the cheese curds; it's the squeakers.
3: The squeaker, yeah. The squeakers. <laughs> or just the squeak. It's just make squeak. it singular.
1: The Wisconsin squeak.
3: Yeah, I will definitely. I'll put that on the list for the off-season project and uh see where we come up. Yeah, I right. didn't mean in to turn this into a pitch meeting, but just you know yeah our theme night and jersey identities have just gone through the roof so why not just add one more you know you never know
2: yeah there's always room for one more in minor league baseball and uh if you're not from wisconsin remember that if you get the cheese curds you want them to squeak yeah fresh
3: ones um if you get fried ones that squeak something's wrong i wouldn't eat those but yes
2: well there you go uh Words of wisdom from a Wisconsinite, <laughs> Hillary Bauer, uh, Vice President of Marketing with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show before the show podcast.
3: Thank you guys.
0: Big thanks to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, Hillary Bauer for swinging by the show today. And uh, it's time for three strikes with myself and Samuel P. Dykstra. Sam, let's kick things off talking about the brand new top 100 list, which is now out at MLB pipeline Um, top 100 mid season market corrections, essentially Uh, the top prospects in baseball from week to week and month to month. There's just so much change during the season not just guys graduating, but prospects who have surged and found themselves in the top 100. Prospects who have fallen off a little bit. Uh, The new top prospect in baseball with the graduation of Adley Rushman is Detroit Tigers outfielder Riley Green, who of course now is in the big leagues uh, behind him. Francisco Alvarez, a big jump for the catching prospect for the New York Mets, who started the season at 11th overall, I believe, and now is the number two prospect in baseball. Corbin Carroll, the Arizona Diamondbacks at double A. He is number three. Grayson Rodriguez, the injured right-hander for the Baltimore or Orioles, who was a A Norfolk. He's number four. His organizational and Norfolk Tides teammate, Gunnar Henderson, the left side infielder, is number five. Uh, those are the new top five prospects in baseball. But just give us a breakdown of this new top 100, some of the the moves that really uh, kind of tell where we are at the midseason point. We've got one guy in specific uh, to talk about in strike two. But uh, give us the overview on the, the new top 100.
1: Yeah, we did this uh, over at MLB Pipeline Do coincide with Adley Rutschman's graduation from prospect status. He was our old number one overall prospect. We were gonna need a new one. We didn't want the conveyor belt to just move up one spot with such a momentous occasion. And it had been a little while, I think it was late May that we had our last update. Perfectly timed to, to come out with a refreshed version of the top 100. Um, one thing I always stress with these ones, we call them market corrections internally. What that means is we're not moving everybody around. What we're doing is we re-voted on the top 15. We moved other guys 10 plus spots in either direction. Um, so if we didn't think they were going to move 10 plus spots, we pretty much just left them where they were. Uh, so it's not a complete new version. It's it's a refreshing of the top 100. But Tyler, you laid out the top five prospects there. Um, when I said we didn't want a conveyor belt to move up and, and take the number one spot with Adley Rushman out, Actually, that's what ended up happening in the number one spot with Riley Green, uh, our new number one overall prospect. A big reason for that being when he started out this season, he was the number five overall prospect behind Bobby Witt Jr., Adley Rutschman, Julio Rodriguez, and Spencer Torkelson. All four of those guys graduated. Riley Green probably would have graduated along with them had he not broken his foot at the very tail end of spring training. When he did return, first in the minor leagues, now in the majors in Detroit, He's looked very much the prospect we thought he would be coming into the year, a really good hitter, can hit for average, can hit for power, is a, I don't want to say surprisingly good center fielder, but he's not the fastest guy in the world, but his instincts are so good out there that we've actually already seen him make several highlight plays in center for the Tigers. You look at some of the other number one candidates, A, they don't have uh, major league experience, which I think is the big deal here, and they don't have really the AAA experience or AAA success that Riley Green has dating back to last year. So that's why we made him number one overall. It's a pretty safe pick. I'll admit that uh, right from the off. But, you know, when you're looking at who can be number one, we already know what Riley Green can do in the majors. Might as well keep him there. So that's what we decided there. Numbers two and three were an interesting debate. And it seems like based off my mentions, uh, the last couple of days, it's a debate that a lot of people are having and a lot of people have strong opinions on. We went Francisco Alvarez at number two. Um, the power is going to play. It has played everywhere he's gone. He just moved from double A AA to triple A at just 20 years old. Seems like the Mets like his catching enough defensively to believe that he's going to stick there long term, which is huge. It's an up the middle position, it's a premium position. The fact that he can be a plus hitter with plus plus raw power there. Might make him one of the best offensive catchers in baseball someday. He's certainly on the road to do that. And he's now on the road to be the number one prospect in baseball when Riley Green graduates, which isn't that far off. Uh, at number three, we had Corbin Carroll, like you said, might be the f- best five-tool prospect in baseball right now. Missed basically all of last year was shoulder surgery. We had some questions about who he was going to be when he came back. He's been at Double A Amarillo this year slugging above 600 OPS above a thousand for pretty much the entire season. Uh, he's currently on the COVID IL he was also supposed to get dental work, which was going to push him back a little bit. Um, but we'll talk about this later. He's expected to be in the futures games, which means we expect him back within the next week and a half. Um, so not too much to be worried about there. I wouldn't read too much into the slugging percentage quite yet with Corbin Carroll. I think people see that and get excited. He's been playing at Amarillo which is one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in all of minor baseball. The wind really blow there. Uh, If you elevate the ball, it has a good chance of getting out. It's above average power, I think, now. I I feel pretty comfortable saying that, Uh, but it's not his best tool. His speed is, his defense is really good, and his hit tool is really good. Grayson Rodriguez, we kept at number four. Latch strain, obviously an issue, but he was AAA's best pitcher. He probably should have already been in the major leagues before that injury. Um, We'll see what happens when he comes back, but it's not an elbow. It's not a shoulder. It's still a question mark, and and you can make the argument that if he wasn't injured, he might be the best prospect in baseball right now. It's just those questions that have us jumping Alvarez and Carroll over him. And Gunnar Henderson at number five, um, one of our breakout prospects of the year, somebody who we thought coming into the year could be, a plus slugger uh, and play a pretty good shortstop, a really good third base, has the arm for both positions. Was he going to hit enough? And he's actually kind of changed the narrative. He used to strike out a lot last year. He's cut down his strikeouts. At A Bowie, before his move, he was basically walking in, striking out at the same levels, which is insane to do. You love to see that plate discipline for somebody so young. He's only 21 years old right now. Now he's at A. The results have been there as well. So, we felt pretty comfortable moving him up, even if he has to play third base uh, for the Orioles at some point. Again, I think the arm's going to play there and the offense is going to play there. So, Gunnar Henderson is one of our breakout prospects of the year, uh, climbing into the top five for the first time. And if you're an Orioles fan who was worried, okay, we lose Adley Rutschman in the rankings, what does that mean to our farm system as a whole? When you have Grayson Rodriguez doing as well as he did, Gunnar Henderson breaking out, Jordan Westberg is now a top 100 prospect, DL Hall still in there, Colton Kowser still in there. The O system is still plenty strong, and and you can see that org really turn the corner, as we hope they would at some point in 2022.
0: All right, for strike two this week, we are discussing the uh, biggest riser among this new group of top 100 prospects, or the reshuffled group of top 100 prospects, and that is... Jackson Chorio of the Milwaukee Brewers organization. So we talked with the Brewers uh, for our interview segment today. We've talked about the Brewers a bunch, and this guy is making his name known in prospect circles. He is now the number 38 prospect in baseball. If You don't know a lot about Jackson Chorio. He uh, was signed out of Venezuela by the Brewers in the 2020-21 international signing class. He made his professional debut last year and was really good in the Dominican Summer League. But this year, not only does he make the jump from the DSL to full season ball, he's somehow gotten better and like a lot better in doing so. Uh, With Carolina this year at uh, single A, he is slashing 319, 371, 587 through 53 games. He's got 10 homers, uh, which doubles his total from his 45 games played in his pro debut last year. Uh, And he has been a guy who has really started to turn heads, uh, not only in that system, but around baseball. Tell us about what has made Jackson Churio such an impressive performer this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you hit a lot of nails on the head there in terms of what he's been able to do. When he was called up, he was the youngest player in full season ball. So it was already an accomplishment for him to jump over the Arizona Complex League uh, completely. And talking to some people in the Brewers organization, talking to Churio himself over the weekend for a story that is coming to MLB.com, hopefully by the time you guys hear this. uh, The Brewers kind of planned to put him in Carolina after one month of extended spring training. I don't think Trujillo knew that. So he says he hit three homers in his final week of extended, homered in his last at-bat, then they told him he was going to Carolina. He thought he really pressed the issue. They always thought he had it in him. And his manager now at Carolina, Victor Estevez, said, we basically might have to put him on the Ronald Acuna Jr. track. Uh, And if you remember what that Ronald Acuna Jr. track was, he climbed three levels in one year, ended up at AAA, then you know the following year was back in Gwinnett called up pretty quick was in the rookie of the year race the rest of the way he probably could have brought it up even quicker if not for some injuries ahead of that right now Churio is healthy he's actually we're about to talk about the futures game here in a second he is the youngest player at this year's futures game he certainly earned his mark there the bat speed is incredible uh the innate ability to find the barrel it's not just swinging as hard as he can he can hit balls to right center to right field he's a right-handed better he can you know, take <laughs> he can pull the ball way over the fence and left if he needs to. Um, he's all the pieces are there for him to be a really special offensive talent. Now, he mix in that he's got plus speed, that he's moved from shortstop where he was signed to center field with ease. He said he enjoys the freedom of center field. All the pieces are there for uh Esteve, or for Chirio to be a quick climber, and I'll be fascinated to see how aggressive they're going to be with him. It sounds like. The second they realize he's not being challenged anymore, they will move him to highway, Wisconsin. He had some struggles for a bit with pitches on the outer part of the zone, seems to be improving with that, taking them the opposite way to right center. Would not be surprised if he's in Wisconsin, uh, either by the end of this month or very early in August, and that's incredible for an 18-year-old.
0: Pretty exciting stuff for uh, crew fans, and that brings us to strike three, which, as Sam noted, is the uh, discussion of the 2022 futures game rosters, which were announced this morning. 31 of the 50 players announced the American League and National League squads are currently on MLB Pipeline's top 100 list, including five of the top 10. So Francisco Alvarez from the Mets, uh, Corbin Carroll from the D-backs, Gunnar Henderson from the Orioles, Cardinals third-base prospect Jordan Walker and Yankees shortstop prospect Anthony Volpe. Uh, This is a really exciting group as it is every year. Uh, Sam, what are the highlight guys for you on each side? and uh, the thing that excites you most about this Futures game group?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is always just such a fun event, the fact that this year is in Dodgers Stadium, which is an iconic place to play, major market, uh, will be really, really special. The the thing that I always look at in the Futures game is, like, who are the pitchers? Uh, Because these guys are only going to get a handful of batters, and that's especially true now that it's only seven innings. So who's going to really get a chance to air it out and really throw – as hard as they can, I'm not suggesting they should throw out their arms or anything like that. But uh, you look at the AL roster, I'm a big fan of Ken Waldachuk of the Yankees system. Um, I did a story about him, a pitching lab story about him, and all four of his pitches are really good. The slider, which the Yankees have talked about, the whirly is really special. I think we should get you know some really good looks at that if he's given a chance to pitch. Uh, Taj Bradley is one of my favorite pitching prospects in baseball. He has another year in which he's got a sub two ERA. Brian Bayo is technically on the roster. He actually made his debut for the Red Sox on Wednesday. We'll see if he's going to remain there. It seemed like Wednesday was just a spot start. got roughed up a little bit, but he was getting it, as many swings and misses as anybody in AAA, getting a ton of ground balls with a power sinker. Uh, breaking stuff is pretty good. Changeups pretty good. I think he could be a big standout in this game as well. You look at the NL side and the, the pitching staff. Cade Gavali has really turned things around the national system of late. He pitched in the Futures game last year uh, through multiple pitches at 100 plus miles an hour. Again, just because it was a shorter stint and I think he really wanted to show why he belonged there. Now he's seen it. What happens uh, when he comes back? Is he still going to be out with something to prove? Maybe he will because his stock slipped a little bit. Uh, Bobby Miller, hometown guy, being a Dodgers prospect, you want to talk about Elite velocity. If I'm the NL staff, I'm starting Bobby Miller uh, just because I really like that tradition of making sure that the hometown guy gets to start in his future ballpark. He could hit triple digits pretty easily in that inning, especially if he's really trying to show the fans something. Um, Yuri Perez, a guy this year who just turned 19 in in April has been at double a the entire season. So he was young for double a to start the year. He's been effective there in the Miami Marlins organization that should be really fun. Um, most of the hitters we've already talked about, I'll highlight Jordan Walker, another top 10 overall prospect, guy we moved up into that group. Um, I think Walker could put together one of the best batting practices, which is always a fun event uh, in the Futures game. As you know, Tyler, you got to see it last year in Denver. Uh, he could put together a great DP. He could also have some of the best exit velos in the game itself. So keep an eye on that. And also keep an eye on Mason Wynn, Uh, another player from the Cardinals organization who, yes, he has improved this year with his offensive skills. And that's a reason why he slid into the top 100. But if anybody hits a ball his way, keep a special eye out on how hard he throws the ball. He can throw the ball in the upper nineties from shortstop. Uh, And, you know, considering that's his best skill, it's an AD arm on the 20 day scale, you know, this showcase event is basically made for him. And I'll be fascinated because sometimes the middle TV cameras can't keep up with his throws from the six. Will the Peacock uh, cameras be able to do the same thing? That'll be fascinating. But so many skills, so many tools are going to be on display there in L.A. next Saturday or a week from this Saturday, I should say. Uh, and maybe next week, Tyler, I'm, I'm going to pitch this to you now. I always like when we draft our own team. So maybe yeah. we'll draft our own Futures Game Masters next week. I'm very people. down with that.
0: And uh, so those are three strikes for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we also have one foul ball. It's the return of foul balls on three strikes in this week's episode. Uh, And it is because something else is returning. And that is the World Baseball Classic today. Major League Baseball announced the uh, teams, the venues, the pools, that will be taking part in the 2023 WBC, which of course was originally scheduled to be held in 2021, the pandemic uh, canceled the qualifiers and everything else in 2020, uh, so the uh, the classic itself was pushed back after 2021, but uh, it will return next year, there is already a whole lot of excitement for the uh, semis and the final rounds, actually the quarterfinals and then the semifinal and final round, uh, which will be held in Miami, because I think everybody remembers the atmosphere in Miami for the games between uh, the Dominican Republic and Venezuela and the U.S. and Puerto Rico and uh, just the insane atmosphere that was there. So Miami will host those games for the first time in the semis uh, and in the final. But the pools look like this. There will first be two qualifying tournaments which are going to be held later on this year september 16th to the 21st in regensburg germany and september 30th to october 5th in panama city panama uh there are six teams in each of those pools the top two teams will advance from those groups to the main wbc coming up next spring uh so pool a for the uh qualifying tournament in germany germany the czech republic spain france great britain and south africa pool b Panama, Nicaragua, Brazil, Argentina, Pakistan, and New Zealand. Uh, And the top two teams from each of those pools will move on to the main tournament, which will be held coming up next March. So pool A, which will start things off in Taichung, Taiwan, will be Chinese Taipei, the Netherlands, Cuba, Italy, and one qualifying team. Pool B in Tokyo will be Japan, Korea, Australia, China, and a second qualifier Entrant. Pool C is where USA Baseball will start its WBC title defense. That'll be in Phoenix at Chase Field against Mexico, Colombia, Canada. And the third qualifying entrant in Pool D, which will take place in Miami, will be Puerto Rico, Venezuela, the, the Dominican Republic, Israel, and the final qualifying team. Sam, we always get to see so many top prospects take play take part uh, in the WBC, often for teams that you may not really expect them to be on. Bo took part uh, for Brazil because his mother is from Brazil. But this is always such a neat showcase for guys who maybe are on the way up. You know, Jamison Tyone pitching for Canada several years ago, uh, some of the prospects that we see, you know, Shohei Otani pitched in the in the WBC back in 2013, I believe. Um, I may be making that up. Uh, I know he was in the Premier 12 tournament in 2015. So we see these guys who come across and maybe aren't on your radar yet, but soon will be on your radar. as a really neat venue to get them some high level international baseball experience.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a competitive atmosphere, right? Like Tyler, you've been to these games. Uh, I have not, unfortunately, but the, uh, yeah, it's just an incredible environment and, you know, you get to play for your country in a way that doesn't happen outside of the Olympics, really in the Olympics, as great an event as it is, we're not sending major leaders to the Olympics, unfortunately. Um, so this is as close to a world cup in baseball as we get and you know i immediately think of adam jones robbing a home run yep that's that i think he was robbing manny machado yeah yeah at petco park at petco park um so like in the fact that you can get some of these young guys that experience kenley jansen i think was on the dutch team as a catcher back in the day there are going to be openings in some of these countries that are going to be really loaded in some spots but really thin in others, and that opens up an opportunity for somebody coming from single A, from high A, etc. cetera. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how these rosters fill out. I hope prospects are, are loading the rosters. T- where you will be at several of these qualifiers, which I think is going to be the real place to watch prospects. Um, Boba Chef was a perfect example of that, trying to force his way through. Uh, but and the, the other player from that Brazil team that I remember, which ended up being a Blue Jays prospect was Eric Pardino. Right. Who is currently trying to come back from multiple uh, injuries, but really shoved in that tournament and all of a sudden became a name that everybody needed to follow out of Brazil. Yeah, So I'm sure there'll be other ones that we'll see of, hey, this guy's a guy that we should know out of this country that isn't necessarily a big baseball nation.
0: Yeah, Pardino's a, a really good example because he was 16 uh, in the qualifiers back in, those would have been the 2016 qualifiers, I believe. Um, so he was uh, a guy who kind of put himself onto the prospect map. And man, it's just one of my favorite events in sports and uh, so excited to see the, the WBC back. Uh, in 2023 and the qualifiers later on this year and uh, we'll be keeping you updated on the prospect news when that stuff comes around as well so that'll wrap up three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show josh Jackson swinging by and then we're back to wrap it up next Up this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson.
4: Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One played ball at the dawn of the 20th century. If you see the others on the diamond, you're still dreaming. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Albertville Alienists. B. The Yuma Bone Saws. C. The Vancouver Horse Doctors. You better believe the answer is C. The Vancouver Horse Doctors, <laughs> who plied their trade in the Northwestern League seasons of 1905 and 1907. As fans of the Marx Brothers and Dr. Hugo Z. Hackenbush know, horse doctor is slang for a physician with odd ideas and insufficient education. Are you a man or a mouse? You put a piece of cheese down there and you'll find out. As well as a term for a veterinarian of any stripe. But Vancouver's horse doctors got their moniker not from their inadequate understanding of human biology nor their expertise in equine health, but from the wear and tear already on their own bodies as they entered the Northwestern League's inaugural campaign of 05 managed by once and future big league skipper john mccloskey the vancouver club featured no fewer than eight players over the age of 30 including 40 year old former major leaguer farmer weaver the team was nicknamed the veterans going into the year was known in headlines as the vets and over the course of the season due to a little verbal horseplay, they became the horse doctors (laughs) Those Horse Doctors were neck-and-neck with the Everett Smokestackers out of the gate, and a photo finish of the first half had Vancouver and Everett dead even. Unfortunately, the Horse Doctors failed to revive their winning ways in the second half, and the Smokestackers huffed and puffed their way to the crown while the Horse Doctors, despite the efforts of League Strikeout King Ira Harmon and Joe Marshall's circuit-best whopping home run total of seven, limped to a 45 and 52 third place end after sitting out of the race altogether in 06 the horse doctors of 07 wound up wishing they'd called in sick vancouver cycled through five managers that year and not even jc con struthers was crafty enough to hold the job or to keep the horse doctors out of last place last place in fact is the bedside manner way of putting it the 1907 vancouver team was 34 and 106 failing to win even a quarter of its games (laughs) needing a change the club got busy as the beavers the next year and with damn fine performances from sluggers ham hyatt and jim flanagan and hurlers george engel and ed erickson Nod their way to the title. And that's how the horse doctors were turned into glue, but never really stuck. <laughs> now, onto the question for next time Which of these teams tried to get a jump on the competition in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Leesville Leapers. B. The Hopkinsville Hoppers. C. The Dedham Double Dushers. Want to know the answer? Get airborne or tune in to the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, just started gardening, and he's already in the weeds.
0: Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show. Big thanks to Josh Jackson. Stopping by for Ghosts of the Miners. And uh, Sam, what are you watching on Milk TV this week? The place where you, too, can catch all of the best and brightest in minor league baseball. What do you got?
1: Yeah, so I won't be watching this necessarily on Milk TV because I will be at the game itself, but I would recommend that people watch it because who knows, you might, you might see me in the crowd. Uh, I will be in Worcester on Saturday, and that's going to be a pretty special game for me because I'm taking my nephew, Liam, to his first minor league baseball game. He just so started cool. T-Ball in the spring. Uh, his birthday party is on Sunday. So my birthday gift to him this year is we are going to the game and don't tell him this, but I'm going to basically walk into the team store and tell him he can get whatever he wants within <laughs> reason. Awesome. They sometimes like sell autograph memorabilia in there. And I don't think he's going to know what that is. But... Like I
0: want that Chris sale rehab Jersey. It's $500.
1: Yeah, we're going we're gonna to cap that, but he's he's turning five years old, so he won't know if I direct him a different way. But when I told him uh, we were going, I was like, oh, we're going to go to the WooSocks game. And he ran away, and I'm like, where are you going? This is exciting. But he actually grabbed a plush version of Smiley, the mascot. Oh,
0: that's to, to
1: show that, oh, like this. And I was like, yes, exactly. Um, so hopefully we're going to meet up with them. And it's also, I think they're allowing kids to throw on the field after the game. Cool. Because uh, it's a four o'clock start, we'll see if his mother lets me keep you him can, out that late.
0: You can play catch, not have a catch, but you can play catch because
1: that's the correct way to say it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, he, he he doesn't know the difference yet, so we'll have to. Instill <laughs> that's that true. That's true. He's young. You can get
0: him in the on the right side of uh, grammatical
1: history. Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, King keep someone. an eye on that game. It's it's Worcester against Scranton Wilkes-Barre. It's a Red Sox Yankees matchup. We're not doing it because of that. We're doing it because, like I said, his birthday party is on Sunday. Um, you know there are. There will be some notable prospects in that game if you are looking for some Jeter Downs on the uh, on the Red Sox side. Uh, Oswald Peraza on the Yankee side, a top 100 prospect himself, number 39 right now. Uh, so th- there will be things to watch. But, yeah, keep an eye out on that game. And also, because it's in Worcester, uh, friend of minor league baseball, friend of the show, Tyler Murray will be broadcasting it. Uh, I touched base with him this week. Uh, fellow BU guy, a guy I know going back to college, Uh, when we cross paths there Uh, calls a great game. The Worcester broadcast is actually one of the best on MILB TV. If not the best, it's very crisp. It's very clear. Uh, So lots to watch there on Saturday. If you're not at the ballpark like I am Tyler, what are you going to be keeping an eye on?
0: Yeah. So I'm going to stick in triple a as well, but I'm going to go to the Pacific coast league. Uh, Shea Langoliers of the, Oakland Athletics organization who is currently with the AAA Las Vegas Aviators. He has been pretty good as of late. Uh, June 24th, he had a three-hit game with a double and a homer. July 1st, he had a three-hit game with a double and a triple. Uh, He is a very fun talent to watch, a guy who OPSed 835 last month. He's at 862 to start this month. Um, He's he's a a dude who you may not be seeing in the minors for long. Uh, I know there hasn't been a whole lot to be excited about at the major league level for Oakland this year, but uh, he and the Aviators will be on the road taking on the oklahoma city dodgers this weekend uh just through saturday with the changing of the schedule uh to accommodate for the fourth of july games and everything's so there actually off on sunday but uh another friend of the podcast and uh, all around good dude alex friedman will be on the call for those games in oklahoma city uh and then they will be home will the aviators against the salt lake bees coming up next week and you can catch those games on milb.tv so that's all that's it and that's all uh get in touch we got uh, some more great emails this week uh you guys have been super cool with sending in emails and uh telling us that you are enjoying the show um we're just shamelessly shilling for uh for you to give us more encouragement because some of us are are very weak with our self-esteem uh, i'm not saying that that i am uh but it's been funny from me so podcast at milb.com get in touch and uh for benjamin hill josh jackson sam dykstra and everybody else i am tyler mon we'll talk to you next week ¡Gracias!